1: Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wander and Will Lomas. It, we, we've got big episode this week because we've got a big week this week. It is game week for the first time since January. Guys, very exciting.
2: Finally, we made it. It took forever, but... We did it, and I'm really excited to see how the Titans start out this season because generally they're not very quick starters, but I'm hoping that changes this year.
1: We'll we'll get to that, certainly.
3: Um, Yeah, I mean – I don't I don't know how I can follow that because <laughs> y'all have covered both sides of the argument. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm glad well, the football's back for sure. Well,
1: because we've got such a big episode this week, we are going to do it in two parts. Part one, which we're listening to right now, we're going to cover two things. First, a lot of Jadivian Clowney news. We're going to have Matt Weston from Battle Red Blog, a Houston Texans website, on to talk about how Mike Vrabel used Clowney in Houston and give us an idea of what we can look for this year from Jadivian Clowney. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about roster cuts and, and how that all played out. And then in part two, which you're going to get on Thursday, Brandon Perna from That's Good Sports on YouTube. It's a great channel. You should go check it out. He's going to come on with us to talk about the Broncos. That's his area of expertise. And so we will talk to Brandon in part two, and then we will preview Titans versus Broncos. Guys, It it, it, it is so awesome to say that. We will preview a a real game and and like we've talked about guys it's kind of snuck up because there was no preseason
2: it went by very quickly and a part of me kind of missed the preseason i hate to admit it because i've been so anti-preseason for so long we know will missed it i of course he missed it (laughs) no doubt about that one um but I'm, I'm just glad the season's starting I, i'm really excited for this thursday night game too chiefs uh chiefs texan should be should be a shootout so very excited
3: well 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 look who comes crawling back to preseason football <laughs> now all of a sudden it doesn't feel like the regular season we haven't seen everybody warm up but no i'm crazy for wanting to watch preseason football for years do you want to uh, add- go ahead will well i was gonna say the the weird thing about this is it by all accounts, everybody who seems to be asked about this, at least fans and people who watch the NFL closely, seem to say that it does feel like the NFL kind of snuck up on us this year. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. But one of them is clearly the fact that we haven't already seen four football games. And I wonder if this does anything to the whole, you know, concept of pushing preseason all the way out the door, because if we went from, you know, ninety to nothing, like we're gonna have you know, we're going to have four games, we're going to do all that to no games at all so quickly because of the, you know, uh, I guess, concessions is what I'll say, the concessions that the players got from the owners. But I wonder if everybody after the season doesn't feel like, okay, we really do need one practice game or <laughs> we do need two practice games. So I wonder if this actually reverses some of the momentum to just completely cut out the preseason altogether.
1: We're going to hop right into a uh, 53-man roster discussion, but I do want to say r- real quick – Uh, the survey that we talked about last week uh, we're going to keep that going for one more week we've gotten several responses it's been great to see what some of you have already said but just by completing the survey that takes literally two to three minutes you'll be entered to win a free item of your choice from our merchandise shop that includes t-shirts hoodies all sorts of stuff so if you want to go take this survey and again, the survey sound kind of like scams. We're just trying to figure out some demographics of who's listening to our podcast and what changes, if any, you would like to see in the future. So to make your voice heard this election year and to have a shot at a free item from our merchandise shop, you can go to uh, our Twitter or Facebook page at No Nonsense Pod. The link for that survey is pinned on both of those pages. If you don't use social media, you can also shoot us an email Email no nonsense at gmail.com is our email address and we will get you the link that way. All right, guys, there's really not a whole lot to talk about with roster cut downs. I think the biggest surprise uh, was Deandre Walker. We we, will certainly hit that first. Um, Deandre Walker, the Titans fifth round pick from 2019 has never played a down for the Titans and is now no longer on the team. He was waived and subsequently claimed off of waivers, by the Seattle Seahawks. What do we think of this move, guys?
2: It was definitely a bit surprising. Just we never saw him play. Like, uh, a lot of journalists probably saw him. I don't know. Did you see him at practice very often? Uh, he wasn't, I don't remember much from 2019.
1: He certainly practiced the few days I was there this year. Um, I don't know very much about DeAndre Walker, to be completely honest.
2: Yeah, no, it just feels like we never got a chance to ever see him uh, do much of anything. And I know most of that has to do with the injuries. So it kind of sucks because we had rather high expectations for him just because he was a pretty solid prospect coming out of Georgia. Uh, And we thought we got a steal in the fifth round. Uh, But it turns out that wasn't really the case. But to see them cut the cord so quickly was kind of surprising. I know they wanted... I know they wanted to stash him onto the practice squad, but that never really seems to work out, especially with some of these higher-profile guys. Uh, thankfully, we signed Clowney, which we'll talk about, so kind of offset uh, not being able to get him on the practice squad. Uh, and it was funny that he went to, to Seattle, but I still—I I think with the Clowney signing, the the edge depth chart is okay, even with, with Walker out, because Walker was going to be— the fourth edge rusher at best probably fifth so it's not too big of a hit really.
3: I mean I like to a lot I from all accounts and I wasn't there but and I'm not sure how much anybody's allowed to confirm or deny but it sounded like he was getting reps with the ones it sounded like he was getting a real look. By all accounts, Vrabel took a special interest in him last year and was working with him. So, it is it is strange. I don't you know he didn't show up on the injury report. I'm not. I don't know. It's it's all very weird because it kind of came out of left field. Um, I mean, the obvious thing is they were pretty sure they were going to get clowny, so it all kind of happened in one smooth motion. But still, like with Roberson getting hurt, with Vic Beasley. I mean, I assume, going to play sooner rather than later. But, you know, we don't know if he'll play week one. I I don't know. It it was a strange move, and the Clowney thing kind of covers it up. But it wasn't like they had six guys there when they signed Clowney. Like, they were already running a little bit short because of that move. So, uh, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I thought he'd be a good prospect this year. The Seahawks like those kind of long, lanky guys. And, I mean – Maybe he works out for them, and we regret it. But either way, they had to make some move to fill a spot there for
2: defensive end. Yeah, it's a pretty big vote of confidence for Derek Roberson also, who we've talked about a good amount. We really like him. Uh, and it's not very often that an undrafted free agent gets three sacks in a rookie season. So he definitely has has some upside, possibly even more than DeAndre Walker. Uh, at least that seems to be what the staff thinks.
1: You know, the other, I don't know that this was a shock so much as just an answer to a question we've been asking is who do they see as the number 5 wide receiver behind Davis, Humphreys, Brown, and Raymond? And our answer is uh, Cody Hollister uh, because the team initially kept six receivers with with Cameron Batson being one of them. They released Cameron Batson, probably putting him on the practice squad. He probably is on the practice squad by the time you're listening to this, assuming he cleared waivers. Uh, But Cameron, or excuse me, Cody Hollister, the six-four wide receiver, gives them some size. That's who they kept as the number five guy. Uh, do you think they made the right choice in doing that?
2: No, no, I, I really don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know what anyone sees in Cody Hollister other than he's tall. But when you have Furkser and Jeff Swaim, who are like essentially the same body type, I just don't really see the need for it. Hollister has never been productive, not in college. Uh, not really in preseason on the NFL. So it's just weird to me, especially when we got all those rave reviews from Rashard Davis. uh, Plus he was, he was fitting in as, as the most logical punt returner. Uh, It was, it was surprising to, to, to see them wave him. I think they got him back on the practice squad, right? Actually, I don't know if they, who
1: is this? I'm sorry. Rashard, Rashard
2: Rashard. Davis. He's a free
1: agent as we're, as we're talking right now.
2: So they didn't even bring him back on the practice squad. Well. Wow. So all the all these good reviews we we got of him in camp are are moot, uh, which is really, which is weird. I don't know. I I, I know it happens every, every offseason, but he just seemed like a logical fifth receiver plus a guy you can slot in a punt returner. But obviously they like Cody Hollister's size. So I mean, good for him, I guess.
3: Yeah, like it's weird to see a team. I I don't want to be harsh on John Robinson. I like John Robinson. I've, I've been criticizing him a lot lately, and I'm, I'm hoping people don't think I'm negative on him because I still think he's one of the best general managers in the league. But it is weird to see the team make the wrong decision twice where they kept Cam Batson and Hollister, who, you know, in a perfect world, they never see the field. In In other scenarios, you could have Davis see the field. Like Davis could be active on game day because he's a returner and plays special teams. Batson should never be a returner, which, I mean, they obviously showed that they don't want to do that anyway, and they cut him, but, I mean, Hollister, like you said, is just kind of like that oversized wide receiver slash skinny tight end hybrid thing, so, I I don't know. Um, I wrote something about this where I kind of went down and broke through, or, sorry, I went through and broke down what each cut kind of meant the the Titans were looking at and mm-hmm. when you look at the receiver spot it kind of tells me that they're really confident that Darrington Evans and uh Khalif Raymond are going to be healthy and active because those guys are going to be the kick returners I would assume and then Adam Humphreys will be in that mix too as a punt returner but it if they're not convinced that both of those guys are healthy I and mean, not that Khalif Raymond has dealt with anything like that but that they're not convinced that Darrington Evans is healthy and that they want to use Khalif Raymond as the returner. Like, I don't know how they make this move. Because, like you said, Matias, I think they did that dog and pony show where they're like, look, here's a here's an award for everybody. The These are the three guys who got the award of the po- of the uh, offseason or whatever, and Rashard Davis is one of them. And then mm-hmm. they cut him and don't put him on the practice squad. It's like... For a team that's very committed to making sure that their locker room is strong and built around the idea of if you work really hard, you'll earn a spot on this roster, that that seems very strange.
1: Yeah, it does. I think that was probably the biggest surprise, again, was to to not seem on the practice squad. Now, uh, as we're talking right now, this could change by Wednesday morning when this is uploaded or whenever you're listening. Uh, They have two open spots right now and only one receiver, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, on the practice squad so maybe Batson you know becomes the second maybe they add Davis as a third I don't know um but I don't really have you know outside of that anything to really say about the roster cuts you know Trevor Simeon ends up on the practice squad Logan Woodside's the backup I don't think that was really much of a surprise seeing the reps they were getting in practice is there anything you guys want to hit on other than what we've already discussed
2: Well, my initial reactions to some of the cuts were kind of alleviated by the corresponding moves that they made. So, like, I thought McNichols was going to make the roster. I was surprised when he got cut, and I was like, are they really going to go in with two true running backs?" But then they re-signed Sonoris Perry. So that kind of alleviated that concern. Uh, I know Will is concerned that Matt Dickerson keeps making the team.
1: (laughs) I guess we can talk about that one. It's three years in a row now, right?
3: uh it seems like an eternity it has to have been longer <laughs> like i assume he was there before like carl clue got drafted <laughs> like he just seems like the guy that i've seen uh, uh don't 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 depress me this is the that's the worst
2: although uh, no i was just gonna say the one that actually like i don't like is how is logan woodside the backup quarterback on this team I, I I don't get it. Well, there's we've, no
1: we've had that that we've beaten that horse to death. I know. But there's
2: <laughs> no
3: logical yeah. there's no logic behind just it. Just different shades of bad. Yeah. Um so uh I guess the one other kind of weird move is that we seem to have forty five offensive linemen on the roster, which yes. is a strange Aaron Brewer decision. uh
1: who's the only undrafted rookie. Uh so Aaron Brewer was the only undrafted rookie uh, to make the team, and then Daniel Munyer, also an interior offensive lineman. I don't know much about him. He fumbled a couple times in the practices I was at. Um, I, I don't know why they have – well, I guess you know, we'll get to Isaiah Wilson in a second. Uh, he's not on yeah. the active roster as of right now. We'll explain why momentarily. Uh, I, I guess that had something to do with it, but I don't – I mean – they have four centers. They have Ben Jones, Jameel Douglas, Munyer, and Aaron Brewer. Like I don't get why that's necessary. Seems like overkill.
3: I have a conspiracy theory about this. No we know, way. We know someone
1: someone who so, did that survey that we we I was talking about at the beginning. Their like you know response as to what we need to improve was more conspiracy theories from Will.
3: And that's all I needed to hear. So yeah. I am all the way back in. <laughs> Uh, So let me go ahead and dig into this. So uh, this all starts with Isaiah Wilson and not for the reasons that you think. So Isaiah Wilson is looked at by this coaching staff as not a good player. And I mean, like whatever, whatever like theories you have on like, oh, no, he's a developmental guy or like the There were multiple injuries in camp and Isaiah Wilson was healthy. And Nate Davis was out. Jameel Douglas was out. And I believe Ben, Ben Jones might've been in, I, I, I forget. But the fact is, is that there was no scenario where your top eight offensive linemen were either on the field or were not practicing where Isaiah Wilson was even close to getting snaps. So Ty Braylow came in to start at right tackle. Then David Questenberry, who's not on the team anymore, uh, was inside at guard that's how little they trust Isaiah Wilson because first of all Isaiah Wilson could have either started at right tackle and kicked Zambralo in a guard and he's played guard in the NFL before or they could have put Isaiah Wilson at guard but they, they didn't do any of that their their best case scenario was to not have him in the top eight offensive linemen so we know that for a fact this is before he's not on the active list so Now you have to figure, okay, if we're going to need an extra guard and Questenberry's gone, we've got to keep another guy who's an interior lineman. So the reason why Jameel Douglas is on the team all last year is because he can snap. And that's – Vrabel said that. And I think Wyatt has said it too where they said they have to have a guy who can snap and he was the only guy other than Ben Jones who's done it before. So if that's their base level of requirement, I think they're going to keep as many of those guys as they can. And then once Isaiah Wilson's able to come back, they're going to cut the one they like the least. And then you're going to end up with the same amount of guys. And the goal is still to not have Isaiah Wilson ever on the field because he's not very good at football, at least, at least right now. And then you kind of put him in a bubble by himself where he's always inactive on game day. And then you pick from that other crowd of eight people who you want to be active. But I think it all starts with Isaiah Wilson being bad. And then it trickles down from there.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, apparently, not only is Isaiah Wilson bad at football, he's also bad at not getting the coronavirus or not not being around people who are diagnosed with the coronavirus because mm-hmm. for the second time, the Rouse. you know, I'd like to check around the league and see if he's the first person to end up on this list twice. I'm guessing he is. Uh, first, second time, Isaiah Wilson gets put on the COVID-19 reserve list. Um, uh, uh, my boss, Austin Stanley said on his show today that, uh, he, that Isaiah Wilson is having a chance Wormack esque start to his career. And will you said, take it easy on chance Warmack? That was your response to that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also said that, uh, there was a tweet out today from the NFL's PR department that said that in their last batch of thousands of tests, uh, there was only one positive. And, of course, that was Isaiah Wilson. They couldn't say it, but we all know. Uh, and I Is said it? on the plus side.
2: It, Are we sure? Are we sure?
3: <laughs> it, it, it would match up with the timeline pretty it- well, the only know.
2: other guy is Ryquel Armstead from the Jaguars. He's been on the list twice, and he just got put on IR because of it. So yeah. he could be the one. Regardless, both of them not smart.
3: Yeah, let, let, let's uh, talk. And I, so I tweeted that, and I said, on the plus side, this is the time in his Titans career that Wilson will be able to say he was exceptional. So.
1: Let's talk about some happy things. Let's talk about Jadavion Clowney, who joined the Titans on a one year, twelve million dollar deal with incentives potentially taking it up to fifteen million dollars. The big news came out Saturday night. Twitter land had a a a a big celebration because this is something that I think we have all seen coming, or at least seen potential of since way back in March. That's when we first began having, you know, conversations about Jadavion Clowney on on this podcast. Um Yeah, I mean, what do we think about the move? We're we're obviously going to get more in-depth with it uh, with Matt Weston, but you have to like it. And what I wrote about immediately after it happened was finally something happened after the Jarrell Casey move. You can't trade away a five-time Pro Bowler, no matter how declined he is, if you're not going to do anything with the money you're saving. Just, you know, keep him at that point. So they did something with
2: the money. I uh,
1: I I I could not respect this move more.
2: I'm just I'm just glad this long drawn out nightmare is over because <laughs> yeah. like like you said it's been literally since March like and this entire pandemic started in March and we've been talking about Clowney ever since it started and it got to a point where we had Jadavion Clowney fatigue you know it was it was that bad. Uh, Thankfully, he's just on the team now. I think it was the most logical decision for him, and I'm surprised he didn't make it sooner. He probably lost a good amount of money by waiting this long uh, because just with the entire situation that happened, contracts just probably aren't going to look the same going forward. So I don't know if it was the best move for him financially, but it's definitely the best move for him from a football standpoint because – like we're going we're gonna to talk about later, he's reunited with Mike Vrabel, who he was probably at his peak under when, when they were both with the Texans. So uh, I just think it's really good for him for his career because he's probably going to get a really nice payout after this season. I'm expecting him to be really productive because he's surrounded by good pass rushers, good interior linemen, uh, good linebackers behind him. And I just think he fits perfectly into this defense. We've talked about it. Uh, So much but he was really the missing piece because even though we needed another edge pass rusher which he can be we also needed a guy who can play on the inside uh, on passing downs and uh, you know on running downs also he's just a game wrecker uh, who can really really like destroy an offense any given play and that's exactly what we needed.
3: Yeah, I don't want to get too much into like what the specifics of how he's going to be used are because we talk about that later, but I will say that this is one of those things where we've and and everybody's kind of talked about it is we've seen it with Peyton Manning and Dante Hightower and we've seen it so many times where you just assume the longer this goes on, the more the Titans are just being used for leverage for another team, um, but that wasn't the case. The Titans got their guy by all accounts and they didn't freak out and panic and pay him 18 million. And they didn't, you know, walk away from the table. Uh, Cause I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just immature or whatever, but at a certain point you have to feel like you're getting strung along. And if I was John Robinson, there would have been times where I would just been like, look, if you want to be here, be here. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. But you know that, and that's what happened with teams like, Cleveland who tried to work and couldn't get a deal done. And Seattle was in and out and in and out. The Jets were reportedly like that too. So, you know, there's something to be said about the slow play here and John Robinson's development from a guy who rightly so earlier in his career was trigger happy with trades and kind of, you know, wasn't afraid to wheel and deal into this guy who's matured into so settled in his position and understanding what he has that he knows when he can slow play and when he can't. And, you know, this worked. So, you know, regardless of what Clowney does on the field this year, the fact is that the Titans thought they had a hole here and they needed somebody else to help with their pass rush. They went out and got him. They did it without giving somebody an eight-year, $100 million deal or whatever, you know, even though that would be a really cheap deal for a pass rusher. But, (laughs) Uh, the the point the point stands, with my made-up numbers aside, that they didn't lock themselves into a long-term commitment. They didn't do it with Beasley. They didn't do it with Clowney. They thought that this year was clearly a year where they were going to try to patch a hole, and then they were going to go to, I, I assume, this next part is just an assumption, but I assume the plan next year is if Clowney or Beasley lights it up, keep them. If they don't, let them walk, spend a draft pick, and hope you get a compensatory pick for one or both of those guys. Well, and, and, you know, that worked.
1: Yeah, and look, you know, it was not unclear why the Titans lost the AFC Championship game. It was because they did never got close to Patrick Mahomes. It was sort of a disaster. I mean, it was great that they got that far, but despite the fact that the Titans led at one point, that game really was never close because the Titans never got close to Patrick Mahomes. Clearly entering this offseason pass rush was a problem just like it was last year. Last year they said, let's see what Sharif Finch and Cam Waite can do. And was the what was the answer to that? Not much of anything. And so you get into this year and they said, let's go get former NFL leader in Sacks Vic Beasley, who finally, you know, showed up to training camp. Let's go get Jadeveon Clowney, who though he's not a big sack guy, he is big and fast and nothing like anything we have had since Javon Kurse was rowing the Titans' sidelines. This is all about, we're going to talk more about this idea in part two, but this is all about, in my opinion, the Titans going to the next level as a team, identifying what their problems were, and being willing to go out and make aggressive moves. Trading a five-time Pro Bowler, that is an aggressive move. Going out and making aggressive moves to get to the next level, and now it's all about following through.
2: Yeah, I've been pretty critical of the front office for not making pass rush enough of a priority this offseason, but clearly they they operated with it in mind that Clowney was going to be a Titan, and... They were right all along. So it really quells my concerns. Although I just don't know what Vic Beasley is gonna give you, but getting clowny is just just huge.
3: And I should say, you know, Brian Arakpo is the guy who I look at when I look at Clowney a lot, just in terms of like what they can what that person can do to help. In in Arakpo's time with the Titans, in his three best years, not including that last year, he averaged just over seven sacks a, a season, and that's the exact same that uh, Javon Clowney averaged in from 2016 to 2018 with the Texans, except Clowney's four years younger than Arakpo was. So, you know, if you if you say you know you're going to get prime Arakpo for a season for that price. I think everybody would agree to that regardless of what his, you know, past sack totals tell you. And then if you say, okay, you're going to roll the dice and you get one chance at a guy who's shown before that he can be, you know, even if you don't want to call him a league leader in sacks, I think his average is like eight sacks a year and his floor is five. If you said you're going to get a designated pass rusher who gets no less than five sacks and there's going to be no long-term commitment, I think everybody would have signed up for that. There's been a lot of garbage between, you know, the idea that both those players can be signed and now that's kind of soured us on all this. But at the end of the day, if that's what you get, then that those are two really good deals. So, and we'll, you know, we'll eat all our words, you know, slamming Beasley and me not being super happy with Clowney stringing along the process and uh, the team will be better for it.
1: All right, we are going to now welcome on Matt Weston from Battle Red Blog. As I said, he's going to talk to us about how Mike Vrabel used Jadevian Clowney across their defensive line in Houston. We're going to take a quick break before that happens. Uh, Matt's going to round out part one, and then after Matt, you'll have to stay tuned for Thursday morning for part two. So we have got on with us now Matt Weston, who writes for Battle Red Blog, which is the SB Nation Houston Texans website, And all of you listening to this know who Titan's Film Room is on Twitter. This guy is kind of Texan's Film Room. He does a lot of film study uh, for Battle Red Blog. And Matt, we're excited to get you on in the wake of the Jadeveon Clowney news because we want to talk to you about how Mike Vrabel uh, sort of used Clowney in all these different ways when he got there. So I'll just start off by asking, generally speaking, and we can obviously get more detailed in a second, but for an overview, what was the difference in Mike Vrabel's use of on Clowney that allowed him to reach the heights of sack production and other numbers that he did?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think part of it was Clowney in that seventeen season, that big bump from sixteen. Was that you know in sixteen that was like Clowney's like first full year um, as a star in Houston. You know, his first two years he had some injury issues and. I know in 15 he played 13 games, but he was kind of like off and on and constantly bowed things. But it wasn't until like 16, like he really kind of arrived. And I think one of the, one of the things about that 17 season of Raybold that was a little bit different than 16 with Clowney was just the way that they use him on the interior a little bit more um, as a run stopper. So you'd see him like, you know, he kind of a thing where he stands up and walks over a guard and, uh, you know, he could beat those guards easily and they would be unable to reach him. He used to make plays in the backfield like that too. And, that Romeo Romeo did really good, great job. continuing that into you know the following season, 2018, which I think was actually like Clowney's best year um, in Houston. But that was also kind of the fact that you know the entire defense was healthy that year. I, I think the other thing too for Clowney's sack numbers going up in 17, kind of like more of a statistical stuff too, was just like they just didn't have very much health in 2017. Like J.J. Watt was injured early on in the year. Um, they didn't have any other at all aside from him. And so it was kind of like you turn on the Texans every Sunday in 2017, and you watch Tom Savage be absolutely awful, and then you kind of just like hang out until you get to see Gun Clowney do something cool on defense. And so I do think it was a combination of you know Rabel using him on the interior more, and then uh, and then also just the uh, the opportunity just to have more like you know box score opportunities, just because Clowney's always been football incredible. It's just the box score has kind of lagged his actual production. And it's been like a faulty indicator of how good of a player he really is.
3: So uh, something in my head that I've always had just kind of burned in there is JJ Watt and Clowney lined up on the same side coming at the same time. Uh, I've always thought that would be incredibly effective and that would be the go-to third down move, but... I think I went back and it wasn't as common as I thought it was. Is that something that worked really well? They just used it sparingly when Clowney was there? Or is it just because of J.J. Watt's injury and the kind of next to last year that they didn't have enough time to do that? Or I guess why wasn't that something that we saw 200 times a year?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Will. And I I do think like 2018 was the year that we finally got to see it. And kind of like the most tragic part about the whole Clowney situation, in Houston, wasn't like, you know, it tr- wasn't necessarily just the trade and the fact that Houston didn't re-sign them, him and, you know, they only really got like five years out of him um, or four years out of him, I should say. But it was just the fact that there was only really one year where Y and Clowney were entirely healthy at the high of their powers. And you know, that was that 2018 season. And so, yeah, like, you know, in six, 17, 16, and 15, like even 14, like I don't really remember any key instances where they were really used together all that well. But in 18, you saw a lot more. And I think the Denver game is a really great example. The Washington game is a great example, too, from 18, where they did a really great job using those two guys together on stunts to create one another open. And uh, I think part of it, too, if you you know, J.J. Watt's there, and he gets the easiest uh, pass rushing matchup. So, like, you know, if Chad Wheeler's there, like a third-string offensive tackle they play New York. J.J. Watt gets that matchup on the outside. And then Clowney is left on the left side or Clowney's kinda of like dive bombing the interior and soaking up a couple blocks or somebody else. And so Clowney didn't have as many opportunities as Watt got to be able to like have those easier uh, sack tank stats to create this place. And you know, it made sense for a defense that, you know, those are very valuable plays that kinda in of drives. And so Clowney's like a guy who will, you know, outrun that job and miss a sack. Whereas Watt does a really great job at the point of attack of actually bringing down the quarterback. And so it makes sense to give them that opportunity instead of Clowney, but I think that's kind of part of it too, but I do think like you go back and watch the 18 videos to the 17 video, you'll see a lot more instances of Clowney and Watt being used together. And uh, the Denver, Washington games are two games that really stand out to me.
3: I just kind of want to follow up on something you said. You talked about his time in Houston, and I've I've always wondered because when I watched Clowney there, even going back to South Carolina days when I watched him against the Vols and all that kind of stuff, he would be a guy that was so clearly dominant at times, but just didn't have that necessarily like Chase Young does, where it's like you're constantly afraid of that guy making plays. Do you feel like looking back, not that the Texans made the wrong decision because there was no other decision to make it number one, but do you think that he lived up to that kind of number one pedigree in terms of what he's become, Like, let's say, at 2018 when he was fully healthy and still with the Texans?
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of like part of the discrepancy with Clowney. Like if he was if he wasn't known for that hit and being like the number one recruit and being the number one overall pick and like having this like label transcendent attached to him, um, I think he would be viewed differently as a player. But because he had such high expectations for like, you know, whenever you come in as being a, like a generational sort of prospect and you fail to break ten sacks in a season, you know, just because of that label attached to you, it's uh, it really has like undervalued how great he is as he is as a player. And it really just kinda of comes down to the box score stuff. Like, you know, he does some incredible things like against I think ten against um, the Chargers in two thousand and eighteen. He made or maybe it's, maybe it's two thousand seventeen made this play where, you know, the guard comes and pulls on him and he knocks the guard into the running back and gets it. and then you know he merciless gets correct for the tackle for so a loss because it's scored incorrectly. And so he does this like he's really absurd mind. He plays consistently and he gets like really close to making in you know, the enormous place, and just like you know, barely misses the quarterback, or slips and falls at the right by the quarterback, or is maybe running too fast and you know turns too wide and misses you know the the jet sweep in the backfield or whatever. And so like, I think maybe he moves too fast at times. Uh, I'm not entirely sure like why he doesn't have the production. But, like let's say he had the production of you know, like Cedarius Smith that last year, who I think is like a comparable player to Clowney, but just has the box score production. I think the way he's viewed would be entirely different. yeah, I do think, like, just because of the labels that he had coming out of college, um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, like, the general um, narrative regarding Clowney is that he's kind of overrated and isn't that good and, you know, isn't one of the best front seven players in the league because of that label attached. And then it doesn't really correspond with the box score numbers that he typically puts up, too, as well.
1: Matt, you mentioned Vrabel playing Clowney on the inside, and that was something I wanted to ask about because, you know, the Titans have Harold Landry and Vic Beasley once Beasley gets healthy to sort of man the edges, and then obviously with Clowney you can kind of play him, uh, you know, anywhere. You can play him certainly on the outside or on the inside. So what, what kind of different formations and looks can we expect Mike Vrabel to use when he has an arsenal that includes Beasley, Landry, Clowney, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, Daquan Jones, guys like that. Cause I was thinking, you know, maybe a, a a diamond formation where you've got sort of double three techniques. You know, what are we gonna be mm-hmm. able to see this year?
0: Yeah, like I think you can really it really is exciting because they can do kind of anything, you know. Like it, it almost feels like Clowney is a luxury in some sense for the Times this year. So it's expected for them to have you know one of the best run defenses this season. Um, because they did have one of the better run defenses last year. And then if you expect, you know, like, uh, you expect you know, Jeffrey Simmons to play for an entire season this year and, and, uh, and like, with, like, you know, him just being fully healthy and getting, you know, having a couple glasses of water <clears throat> his rookie year, like, you're expecting the run defense to be even better this season, too. I think uh, in the pass rush is where, like, my was really signed because even with Harold Landry and Vic Beasley on the outside, they're both players that play pretty similarly. They're all edge rush, speed, and rip guys. And, uh, and you know, I don't think they'd be able to break past average with the way they were currently set up. And I think the idea there was to, like, you know, be really wide, get pressure in the pocket, get the quarterback to step up, and then help, you know, Jeffrey Simmons kind of bowers the quarterback from there, create sacks. Um, but, yeah, I think with Clowney, you know, on the interior, I can see him being used as an interior blitzer a lot, and then he can even rush on the outside, too. And then you can even, you know, line him up outside and run stents with him with either, you know, Simmons or Jones thing, what they do there. Roy came up on the interior. They haven't run stunts, with uh, Landry and Beasley and create easy matchups. And in the run game, you know, you can set the edge um, really great, and then you can take out Big Beasley in the situation. Put a bit clowny out there. And then let him force things back inside the interior. And he's also, like, really incredible at <clears throat> um, making tackles for a loss. Oh, sorry about that. He's also really incredible at making tackles for a loss, too. Um, so I think on rundowns, you'll probably see Clowne play the edge, play on the inside, you know, here and there's change-ups, and then uh, replace big Beasley and kind of base defense down. And then pass rushing situation, I think you're probably going to see Simmons and Clown on the inside, and then you'll see um, Landry and Beasley on the outside there, and then you'll see You Clown kind of flip outside here if needed. But I really think with, like, how they're set up, um, you know, the way Beasley plays, it's not great to run. I think you're going to kind of see see them kind of base out like that, but – yeah, you mentioned, like, they can run that 5-1 front. They can, run, they can play a 3-4. They can play a 4-3. Um, they can be really versatile and really multidimensional. And they also have such great, such a great interior linebacker group with Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown, too. So, like, this entire front goes from being, you know, a good one to one of the best ones in football uh, with the sign, Jadayvon Clowning.
2: Hey, Matt, this is Matias. Uh, we've made you talk about Titans players ad nauseum. So let's focus a little bit on the Texans uh what's your outlook for this season uh especially after kind of a tumultuous offseason uh with all the stuff that that's revolving around bill o'brien about his his unchecked power stuff like that losing deandre hopkins trading him away uh what's your outlook uh do you think they're going to go back to the playoffs do you think they're going to get uh as close as they did last year uh to the afc championship uh what are your thoughts going into the season
0: yeah, I wrote a season preview, I guess, last week. And I kind of wrote it where, like, you know, it talks about the fact they went nine and three in one score games, um, including, the regular, including the postseason whenever they beat the Bills in the wildcard round. They went eight and three in one score games, which tied Green Bay for the second most one position wins and was second behind only Seattle. And they also two point two point two more games than their uh, point differential indicates that they would, which is you know, unsustainable in that fact as well, too. And they actually gave up more points than they scored last year too and so it's like you're looking at all that and the fact that they got worse this offseason because they didn't add to the defensive side of the ball the offensive additions and david johnson brand cooks and Reynolds cobb you know they really it really it, they would have been better off keeping deandre hopkins and adding cooks and johnson and Randall cobb like you can make the case that they'd be better off not even having on the team because then you can have fuller run the slot hopkins in the slot um cases the slot players that are actually like from an efficiency perspective are better in the slot than you know, Randall Cobb even was last year in Dallas, too. And so, because of that, like how bad this pass defense was, you know, I kind of I wasn't expecting, you know, it's, 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 it's the best case is that you expect him to regress, you know, this year. And then you forget the fact they have Deshaun Watson, and he's the best player in the division. And he's the best, we're like, you know, the three best quarterbacks in the AFC. And really, like, the only thing that leads to a continuous, you know, year to year sustained success in the NFL. It's great quarterback play. The Texans have Dan Watson. And so I, I expected before the Clowney signing happened that Houston would go nine and seven with the division and I picked the Colts to go nine seven, be second in the AFC South, and the and the Times to go nine seven, be you know, third in the AFC South and all three teams to make the playoffs. But now after the Clowney signing, I do think it, it bumps, you know, Tennessee from having, you know, a great run defense, um, a good all around offense that should be like a top 10 one, and like a, a hopefully an average pass defense to them having like an actual good pass defense and you even the best run defenses in football. And so because of the Clowney signing, I do think the Titans will win the South. The Colts will finish second, the South, and the Texans will finish third. And, like, I think it's it, – you know, years past, I would say there's no way the Texans should make the playoffs and that sort of thing, um, just because of how fortunate they were last year. In the fact, they got worse this South season. But, again, because, you know, it's Deshaun Watson, how spectacular he is, it's hard to see Watson – you know, losing ten games in a season or nine games in a season and having anything less than a winning record. And the offenses have so much built uh, you know, in upside. Like I do think the speed and the outside to great, easy throws in the interior and they have so many playmakers and the offense wants to be better this year with more continuity too. But I think they can win like enough games, you know, 31-26. I think the defense will win them down up times that they won't be able to be like an eleven and five team. But I think they'll drop down nine seven, probably go like, you know, four and four, one score games or something like that. And then they'll have a great enough offense to blow out teams here and there. And um, and then as long as they win like their easy games against the Jacks, against Jacksonville and Cincinnati and things like that, I think nine uh, seven is more than reasonable to expect, and for them to be that number seven seed.
1: Matt, we really appreciate your time and your analysis. You've been a big help, certainly to us and I'm sure our listeners in understanding uh, what we're all going to get and what we're all going to see from Jadavion Clowney. Uh, this year before we let you go let everyone know uh where, where they can follow you and i you know, i don't know why a titans fan would necessarily want to read text and stuff but if they do want to get an outside perspective where they can go
0: yeah you can follow me on twitter at matt double underscore weston and you can read what i write about my blog and i know it's like a texas website and i'm talking about the texas right now but i do write like a weekly article about the nfl in general um, I write I'll probably write an article this year on you know the Times outside zone offense and probably something else budget Avon Clowney. And I know right now on you know, like on pretty like early on in the in the silly Twitter timeline there's an article budget Avon Clowney you can read to and I wrote films about him. Um I wrote Times season preview an entire AFC South season preview that you go back and read to if you get, you know, lonely and bored and uh and are miserable between now and Thursday and next Sunday night when the Times play the Broncos. So there's plenty of stuff up there to read and if you can't find it, you can send me a message and you know, will some stuff your your way if uh again you you're trying to fight off some boredom between now and Sunday.
1: Well let's just let's just go ahead and do this. Can we uh get you back on here when the Titans play the Texans first?
0: Yeah, I would love that. I've been there playing week six and uh and like I know it's kind of like a storybook, you know, maybe some like a, a nine year old girl imagines like her dream wedding or something, but I'm hoping this season we get <laughs> Houston at like nine six, Tennessee at nine six, and then it's week seventeen, Houston, Tennessee for the AFC South Championship. But not only that, hopefully, you know, things return back to normal, whatever that means, and they can actually have a stadium at maybe like, you know, fifty or seventy five percent capacity. Yeah. And we can have like an actual crowd in, you know, for week seventeen, Houston, Tennessee. And I, I do I will say like I, I'm so excited for plenty to go to Tennessee because like the Texas titans Travel re. It just got kind of based off like butt outs in the team in you know, 96 or 97 or whatever it was. But there's no like really great games between the two teams. I think the closest we came was last year in you know, Week um, 15, whenever Houston beat Tennessee and Nashville, and then Justin Reed hit everything else. But really, like, there hasn't been any really great games between these two franchises. It's a really great moment. And probably the greatest moment for the Texans is whenever Andre Johnson beat Quill Finnegan. So I think this year there'll be actual, some actual hatred. I think there'll be actually some great games and hopefully we get two of them this year. And uh, I'm really excited to watch uh, the entire FC South this season.
3: Uh, Before you go, I don't want to take uh, much of your time at all, but can you confirm for the record that the Tennessee Titans should have all rights to the Houston Oilers stuff?
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) I will see. I'm not from Houston at all. So you're asking the wrong personally. I'm from uh, San Antonio and so, like, I don't really have any memories of the, of the Oilers at all. Uh, I do think it should be, it should belong to Houston, just because of like, you know, everything that goes along with it. But it is, a, it really is a shame that, you know, Houston stuck for the Texans with such a, you know, kind of silly name. And then, uh, and like that, like, I mean, the Oilers color scheme and like team name is beautiful. That it's so perfect that you would think, you would hope that at least like one team got to use it still or whatever. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't have any big opinions on it though.
1: Matt, thank you so much. Look forward to talking again soon.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was great talking to you guys. and Hopefully, we'll speak again in five weeks, and, and we have some really great games this season.
1: We certainly appreciate Matt coming on with us, and that's going to do it for part one. Stay tuned for part two, where we will dive into the Denver Broncos. We're going to talk to Brandon Perna of That's Good Sports, and we're going to do Stop the Nonsense in that part as well.